And welcome back to Peculiar Journeys. This is done. It has uh, been a weird week. It's uh, It's been a very strange week. Uh, Dana, my wife, has gone on a trip. She, in April, booked a two-week trip. She hadn't seen her mom at that point in like a year and a half, and uh, like in person. And so she booked a flight. Well, then COVID hit and everything got shut down, so we postponed that flight. We finally decided August was the way to go. It's still not over, but you know, at some point you got to go. And her mother's birthday is uh, the 31st. So she went out to Pennsylvania for two weeks. I am alone. Um, I'm not a type that gets lonely, so that's not a big deal. Um, but I have discovered in the first three days she was gone, you know, I, I felt untethered, which is weird for me because generally, you know, the world is untethered right now. And I didn't realize how important it is that Dana is here with me. Uh, she gives me a sense of stability that I otherwise would not have. And so, you know, what I find myself doing is kind of walking around the house, uh, and then going to the casino and going, uh, so, um, you know, I, I, I had a couple days of that and then I had to snap out of it and say, all right, let's get back to, to being a human being and getting my shit together. Did find, uh, uh, at the casino, um, it's been a little weird, but you know, at this point, everything is a little weird and working in a casino in the wild, wild west is about as weird as it fucking gets. I can't think of too many things more weird than where I work right now. And so we've got some crazies coming out as the economy continues to kind of downslide. Um, as, uh, I mean, uh, MGM just laid off 18,000 people. I mean, things are, are going to get very, very dark, uh, before there's light and some ascension into uh, a new normal. But what we're seeing at the wild, wild west is, uh, uh ordinarily, like pre-COVID, pre-economy tanking, you'd say, I'd say maybe 5% of uh, the people that come into the casino or come into the, the hotel that's attached, about 5% are looking for something or trying to get something for free or complaining unnecessarily so that they can get, you know, comp rooms, all this kind of shit, trying to get something. They're looking to get something. They're looking to grift. Well, post COVID, you know, I mean, we're not fully post COVID, but you know, during COVID, whatever, I'd say that's about 25% now. So we've got the crazies coming out. There's a lot of people that are doing their damnedest to try to game the system, to get free drinks, to get free food, to get free hotel rooms, to just be sitting in air conditioning. I mean, it's been a fucking 110, 112 degrees out here. And, you know, my, as a, as a manager of the space, my, my goal is if you're not causing trouble and you're wearing your fucking mask, right, then Come on in and, and and hang out, loiter a little bit so that you can cool off because it's pretty fucking hot out there. And I'll always give a bottle of water to somebody that's kind of complying with the rules. Um, if, you're, if you come in and you're fucking batshit crazy or you're an asshole or whatever it is, you got to go. I haven't got any patience for that shit. But that's things. I'm finding my Spock. You know, uh, that's, that's, that's what's going on. One of the things we had, uh, this, this past week is, uh, one of our, one of our, our employees, one of the staff members that works in the cage, uh, was tested positive for COVID. Now, one of the things to know about our, our, our 
particular corporation is that they've as a way of doing it is they provide free random COVID testing and you can't request it. They send out a list about every two weeks and say, here are all the people that need to come to this particular casino and get tested, you know, and that's what's going on. And as soon as, and what, what's nice about it is because it's a private firm, they, they, they get a turnaround. They get the test results like within a day. And then they call all those people, and those people are immediately uh, taken off schedule, and they have to quarantine at home, and then they have to take another test through stations. What, what is nice about it is that that's free. didn't cost uh, our, our, our team members anything, which I think is really, really good. But um, we're not, as managers, allowed to tell anybody on staff, oh, this person tested positive for COVID. But they're not stupid people. And so I got uh, a couple of my cage employees kind of panicking because they realized that number one, we've got some more uh, potent uh, disinfectant in the cage, and we and and that particular team member is off for the next two weeks. So they're not idiots. And I know as management, I've been told I'm not allowed to tell anybody the results of anybody's COVID test. So there's a privacy issue. There's also, you know, a, 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 you know, don't stampede the herd kind of issue. And so I, I just looked at him. I said, okay, let's first of all, you know, let's look at it objectively. Second of all, I can't tell you anything, but your bankers and your math is correct. Wink, wink. They got that. They figured that out. And we talked a little bit about how. Uh, to kind of mitigate that sort of fear, because one of the things that is is quite interesting is it's easy to get bored and complacent when this pandemic, you know, it's like, oh, I'm so tired of the mass, I'm so tired of it, and it's it's pretty easy to be bored and complacent with it until someone you work with or you love gets it. Then bored and complacent gets a lot more difficult to maintain, and so that was one of the things. One of my uh, cashiers really wanted to talk about it. it's like you know it's like I, I i got to a point where i got a little used to it and it didn't seem like it was that big a deal and then all of a sudden somebody i worked with has it which means i might get it and i might give it to my kids or my dad and, you know i mean so all of this starts to really come to to bear so when i hear people say that are trying to to prove that it's all a hoax because man there's plenty of those um they say yeah well how many people do you know that have had it with the idea that if you don't know anybody, well, nobody knows anybody because it's a hoax. It's like, no, no, well, my nephew's had it. Uh, I've got a friend of mine from Chicago that had it. Um, I've known two people. I know two people that have died from it. And now people I work with. So, you know, it's the thing about it is this is the thing that's that's crazy about this time right now is because we're so grasping for straws Every complex issue is getting simplified, and the oversimplify the oversimplification of complex issues it creates a muted and ineffective solution for people too busy to put in the energy to actual sol actually solve them. David and I talked on the Apecast uh, that you'll come out tomorrow. We talked a little bit about the idea that uh, the whole police are racist thing is just an oversimplification because it's really not that the police or even the system is racist. The policing of this country, it is a system that is open. It's more open for abuse of power and authority than it should be. It's not about racism. It's about the over the ease of being abusive with power 
and having no accountability for it. That's the that's the issue, and it's a much more complicated than the issue than get rid of the racists because that's not actually going to help. And I look at the protests, you know, and I'm, I'm telling you, the only person who benefits from protests devolving into riots and looting while being excused is somehow acceptable. The only person who benefits from that is Donald Trump. And that concerns me. It really concerns me. He's going deep dive into the law and order thing. And that is a very, very strong argument that he's making. Like him or not, that's, that's, that's going to motivate voters to vote for Donald Trump. Because they don't want to have their neighborhoods uh, looted and rioted. They don't want to have shit burnt down. They, I mean, I get it. Um, so that's something to really think about. And then lastly, just sort of on my mind right now, uh, Chadwick Boseman uh, passed away at 43, which just breaks my fucking heart. You know, and it's interesting when celebrities die. What I'm most appreciative about Chadwick Boseman is I, I, I'm genuinely saddened by his passing um and i think part of it is because i didn't know anything about him except for what he showed me i didn't know anything about his personal life um maybe there was plenty out there and i just didn't bother to read it but what i knew was i what i saw in the films and in sort of his press junkets and sort of his reactions to you know i saw a little bit of him and i didn't realize at the time that he had cancer but you know, his working with kids with cancer and this kind of stuff. And the only thing I really, my takeaway is that the moment in Avengers Endgame, when Black Panther comes out of the Doctor Strange portal, I mean, that was always a holy fuck yeah moment. And in fact, when I saw it in the theater the first time, when he comes walking out of that thing, I bawled like a fucking baby. I was so excited and, and, and moved. Well, that moment now has a few more emotional thunderclaps to contribute and, and gives that, that, that moment in that movie more weight than I think it had before. Um, so this is what's going on in my life. This is what's, what's happening um, in the thing. And, I, and I'm noticing, I tried to watch a little bit of the DNC and I tried to watch a little bit of the RNC. Much easier to watch the DNC because I think the RNC, I think the Republicans are just fucking lying. I mean, I just couldn't. I, I You know, whatever you would think, I just couldn't do it. But one of the things that I've noticed is there's a lot of, the two things that are really like, I think are just kind of coming to the fore. And number one is fear mongering. And, and that's what political campaigns always are. That's what propaganda is built on. That's what advertising is built on. I mean, if you don't think advertising is fear mongering, then wonder why, you know, the, the whole idea of having a zit and needing to buy zit cream or Oxycontin or what, you know, I don't know what the fuck you put on zits. It's been so long since I did that, but the idea is you're never going to get laid if you have a zit and that's fear. There's a, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a fear tactic. And then the other thing is sort of the concept of, you know, I think everybody's got some trauma. Everybody's every, I mean, what is it? It's, I, I think I read in a piece of literature, psychological literature that eight out of every 10 human beings have suffered some sort of fairly significant trauma in their lives um, but I also read some stuff about trauma. I kind of got into a deep dive about that. So here are a couple pieces that I want to share with you, and I hope you enjoy them. A pro-union lefty walks into a conference room and realizes that he's now 
management, and he's in a meeting with a union buster. Let's call the union buster Lloyd. I mean, Lloyd sounds like a union buster name, right? Oh, this is Don, the HR director indicates to Lloyd. He won't be shy with his opinions. Several people in the crowded room laugh. Now, I don't speak for a full 90 minutes. And if you know me, you understand that this is as probable as a dog not sniffing shit. The public radio station was going through the standard back and forth when the employees decide that management isn't treating them fairly and explore unionizing to gain some leverage. In this case, the employees were the reporters and producers in the newsroom, and the management was the new CEO hired to turn the station's adventurous dreams into a tight fiscal responsibility. For weeks, there had been delays in acrimony building. I was the director of events, which technically made me a part of the management team, despite the fact that the CEO had zero interest in my department as events were just not a big revenue generator. So for 90 minutes, I sat and I listened to Lloyd present the argument that a union would destroy the company. He talked about wage loss, increased red tape, and the pernicious control unions take when given a toehold. We were instructed on how we, as management, were not allowed to discuss the pros or cons of unions and with employees. We were told to keep a list of staff who were openly promoting union and send it to the CEO weekly. It was surreal to be in this meeting. Then Lloyd turned to me. Don, right? Aren't you the opinion one, opinionated one? Anything to add? I knew, my, I knew that my opinion would not be welcomed by Lloyd. And I thought for a beat. Well, Lloyd, uh, my take is that on one side, the unions are leading with a list of abuses and horrors proliferated by the company. They sell the idea that without the union, the reporters are just simple slave wage slaves and will be bought and sold like those Tamagotchi eggs kids used to trade in the 80s. On the other side, you sell the concept that if they do unionize, we'll all be selling tamales on the street for a living because the union will bankrupt the company and destroy whatever growth we can muster. The truth is that both sides are no more than are, are no more than hyperbolic fear mongering. Neither pitch is likely, but if the choice is presented as life or death, good versus evil, black and white nonsense, the least curious and most gullible will leap to one side or the other. I trust that these newsroom employees are far smarter than me probably smarter than everyone in this room. I trust that they can sift through the scare tactics and comprehend what is both in their best interest as well as the company's. My response did not make the CEO very happy. Lloyd nodded as if he knew he had a commie in the room. Such are things when the agendas are so polarized. And we're at a place in society where facts no longer surpass belief, so rationally outlining the objective information is almost pointless in most cases. In most cases, neither pitch is likely, but if the choice is presented as life or death, good versus evil, black and white nonsense, Biden versus, you know, the, the, the left and the cancel culture versus the right and Donald Trump's authoritarianism, the least curious and most gullible will leap to one side or the other. We do not have to accept the either or proposition. I can be vehemently opposed to both police brutality and violent protest. I can wear a mask as a responsible member of the tribe and still hope that we can do things that keep the economic engine from crashing. I can believe that biological women are women 
and still encourage equal rights for transgender folks. I can love both Star Wars and Star Trek equally. Scare tactics work on people who are already scared. Either-or propositions are only attractive to the simple-minded. On nearly a daily basis, I'd have to have the talk. The population of Thurgood Marshall Middle School in Chicago was filled with 7th and 8th grade kids from broken families whose fathers and uncles were in prison, all angry that society, I mean, if they thought about those larger elements at play at all, didn't seem to care. I wasn't black. Still not. Wasn't Latino. Still not. Didn't grow up in a gang family. I did have what can be called traumatic experiences in my life. First stepfather was a domestic abuser who would frequently pummel my mother and myself out of nothing but male-dominated rage. My first sexual experience was when I was nine years old at the hands of a 14-year-old babysitter and her friend. There were some serious drugs in my system before I hit puberty. Too many failed father figures, a lot of school bullying. Even back in the 90s, people were looking for, looking for reasons to fix blame on others for their hardships was prevalent. So the talk was a reality check for these kids. First was the rude awakening that, for the most part, no one really cared how hard these kids had it. Sure, their parents cared in some cases, a few teachers of note, but the rest of the world, while they might signal their concern, didn't have enough personal stake or attention to genuinely care about these individual students and their traumatic existences. Harsh, I know, but true nonetheless. Second part of the dialogue centered on how they perceived their rough times. I believed, as I believe today, that our relationship to pain is largely determined by our beliefs about pain. I found that belief is more powerful than truth every time. And if one truly frames trauma with long-term suffering, those experiences become both a debilitating obstacle and a crutch to excuse failure. By simply reframing trauma as a learning experience that, like you know, building muscle or endurance, takes the effort to overcome with it and foment personal growth instead of infirmary, these often horrifying quagmires of life can transform into positives. Now, here's a quote from a source. It's a, a study. Did Americans change following the September 11 terrorist attacks? We provide, this is the this, the the. We, researchers, I guess, we provide a tentative answer with respect to the positive traits included in the values and action classification of strengths and measured with a self-report questionnaire available online and completed by 4,817 respondents. When scores for individuals completing the survey in the two months immediately after September 11th were compared with scores for those individuals who completed the survey before September 11th, seven character strengths showed increases gratitude hope kindness leadership love spirituality and teamwork 10 months after september 11th these character strengths were still elevated although to a somewhat lesser degree than immediately following the attacks now as it turns out some research tells us that the vast majority of those caught in a moment of trauma from having bombs blowing up around them for days at a time in combat to violent rape to physical abuse tend to see these terrible circumstances as opportunities to learn 
The rest rely upon them like diseases afflicting them for the better part of their lives. Why? I mean, if it's as simple as reframing your relationship to trauma to turn it into a gain rather than a subtraction, why would anyone choose otherwise? All right, on my right arm, just inside the wrist, is a tattoo that says, this is water. It's the title of the, the David Foster Wallace commencement address that posits that we're all surrounded at all times by humans that we misunderstand. The speech resonates with me and serves as a reminder that the guy who balks about wearing a mask is still a human being, that the woman screaming in the street that there's no justice for Breonna Taylor is a person, that the universal truth is that we are all almost exactly the same. The most difficult challenge for me, the most as I am assailed with the customers of a low-rent casino and hotel just off the twin dwindling Las Vegas Strip, is to find that DFW sentiment while fighting back the impulse to just give in and despise people. The weight of my own personal disdain for humanity run amuck is fueled by encounters with, in my snap judgment, fucking idiots and grown-up children clawing for attention or a handout or what they perceive as the treatment they deserve. When I am my most Spock-like, I can navigate these moments more effectively. Things like, do you believe that complaining this loudly is going to get you what you want? Float out of my masked mouth. On a recent phone call with a man apoplectic that he wouldn't be served unless he wore a mask, railing at me about how he was going to sue me, sue the casino, sue the corporation. I listened for maybe five minutes before I asked, sorry to cut you off, but I'm curious, what do you want to happen at the end of this phone call? Do you believe that your anger, your demands, and your threat of litigation will change the policy of the casino for you? Why would anyone choose to be debilitated by a past trauma rather than reframe it into a learning experience? Well, maybe because reframing is fucking hard. According to most therapists, the initial reactions to trauma tend to be depression, a feeling of helplessness, a perpetual trigger to the fight or flight response, severe anxiety. When saddled with that noxious cocktail, how simple then is finding a lesson for growth? Now, the knee-jerk response is that they gain a certain power from being seen as a victim. It isn't a kind reaction, and it assumes a predetermined motivation, but it's there nonetheless. There is a sense of belonging when putting on the letter jacket of victimhood, a joining of the masses of people who boast about their antidepressants like frat boys bragging about how drunk they got, a club of angry, unhappy, traumatized, and broken people with which to feel less alone. Because in a world of social media, alone and different is perhaps the worst one could be. Then I stare at my right wrist, my inner David Foster Spock, quietly informs me that the knee-jerk response is almost always wrong when it comes to assigning motivations to monolithic stereotypes. He tells me to be less judgmental and more specific at the same time. Why would someone sexually harassed or racially profiled by the police or beaten by someone trusted to allow that experience to define their ability to navigate the world? Because belief is stronger than truth. Because believing that you are broken is tacit permission to be broken. While being broken hurts, believing that pain must include suffering and being crippled infinitely is simply easier than believing the alternative. The choice isn't to wear victimhood like a blood-soaked bowling shirt or not. The choice is to believe that there is no growth from pain. And so, the talk 
first. No one really cares how hard it is to be you. For all the protests, hashtags, and GoFundMes, everyone around you cares far more about themselves than they do your trauma. Harsh, but true nonetheless. Second, it is harder to believe that pain can garner strength, but it is the truly, truly the only way forward. Anything less is giving up. Anything less is acquiescing to the brutality of existence. And that's the podcast. Thanks for listening. If you are uh, of the reading type and you're interested in something a little fluffy and fun, um, I encourage you to go to donhall.vegas and at the top is a little announcement that says that uh, my new newest book problematic movies of the 80s a problematic book about problematic stuff is now online both in the kindle edition um, and the paperback edition uh, the big big difference is the paperback edition is a little more expensive and has pictures so that's always fun um, so if you are interested please uh, go online and order that read it I think if you're part of the like Amazon Prime, you can read the Kindle book for free, which is also kind of cool. Um, if you do read it and you like it, uh, throw me a review on Amazon. That's always cool. Um, if you like Peculiar Journeys, um, go to Apple Podcasts and throw me a review. You know, that's all. It, 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 it's very interesting. In a world where your opinion counts for everything, throw your opinion uh, to something that matters to me, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Have a great week. Take care of yourself. Don't buy into the fear mongering. Try to reframe your trauma, whatever bad things have happened to you is into learning experiences and just be stronger, better, kinder people. That's the way we got to do it. And I will talk to you next week. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly podcast featuring stories and thoughts from an arrogant, overly confident white guy. Lots of episodes were recorded while I was living in Chicago, and now I'm in Las Vegas. Check out donhall.vegas for updates and subscribe at Apple Podcasts.